1: The Conservative Review with Daniel Horowitz, And welcome back, fellow American patriots and Minutemen standing at the ready to fight anew for those stars and stripes. If they still exist, this is your host, Daniel Horowitz, back in the house today, Tuesday, September 14th, which is indeed the anniversary of the Star-Spangled Banner. Banner believe it or not, our national anthem was uh, written, composed by... Francis Scott Key, right here in Baltimore, where I reside today. Very different city today than it was back then. Um, But we no longer have the land of the free and the home of the brave. Uh, The flag is not still flying after the bombardment. Indeed, we are a fallen people, a fallen nation, a fallen culture. And we're on day five of the Fourth Reich speech delivered by the President of the United States... And still, you tell me, have you heard a sufficient response from any governors, any state legislators? We are going to have, hopefully tomorrow, I'm going to put out a blueprint, one of my listicles, 10, 15, however many items I have in there. But a simple, short bullet points to-do items for state legislatures and governors. Um, All I can do is try and keep yelling at the wind, hoping that someone listens and all we need is one state to do something fully and i think a couple more will fall from there and we could forge some sort of land of the free and home of the brave again at least within smaller confines of this great land but we're going to have on today one of our doctors or a repeat guest to talk about the the cowardice of the medical profession and what we're seeing the terrible stories Um, I do want to just, as a a service to you, it will change your life. There's this riveting story from a man named Scott Mantle. Okay, this is one of the ivermectin cases that the FLCC got involved with, with a wife, Deborah Bucko, who was dying in the hospital in New York City. And uh, Ralph, the attorney we had on a week ago, he uh, helped in the case. The wife was getting better with ivermectin, but they stopped using it, and then she died. Um, if you go to Rumble and you just type in R-N-B Medical War Crimes Number 8, Scott Mantel, M-A-N-T-E-L, it's a 50-minute inter- interview with Scott. Um, the first half especially, it will change your life. It puts a human face on everything that is being done in the hospitals, That is how remdesivir is killing, how the things that work they're not using, and... You know, what is so sad is you know that applies to several hundred thousand other people. That is what is so scary about it. And that's what I'm trying to work on with a patient bill of rights. Again, I'm just one man. All I can do is advocate, but I need you to help to push this and your state legislatures as well. Now, today we have a very special sponsor that is very apropos for... Uh, the doctor we're going to have on today who is very into organic. Look, I used to make fun out of organic. I admit it. Um, but now when I talk to all these doctors, they've convinced me keto diet is the way to go. Meat, chicken, fish, lay off the carbs and sugar, and stop the junk, the additives, the junk that's in there. Well, what if I had a company that did it for you, had the best tasting meat, plus it's American made all in a family farm in Missouri, Moink Box. Okay, you guys need to get your Moink Box, your sizzling steak um, that smells terrific. I've uh, so Moink delivered a bunch of stuff to me, and I've been giving it out to anyone I know. So our mail carrier swears by it now. Everyone's like, man, this thing—it tastes fresh even even after it's been frozen. Um, the animals are all raised outdoors. Their fish swim wild in the ocean. Um, Best tasting salmon we've ever had, by the way. Uh, it's, and, and, and the thing is, it's free of antibiotics, hormones, sugar, all the other stuff that God knows what else it's doing to us. And, and by the way, in the future, I do hope to do some shows on, on that with some of the doctors we have on, including Dr. Dan Stock today. But if you sign up at moinkbox.com, so it's M-O-I-N-K-box.com slash conservative, you can get a year of bacon for free, and then pick what meats you want delivered—meat, chicken, uh, also salmon—in there as well. Um, it's got your full array of meat choices covered for the full year. Again, this was founded by an eighth-generation farmer who is featured on Shark Tank. Um, if you've ever seen it, uh, terrific people. people um, make sure you get moinked like I was. Go again to moinkbox.com slash conservative and never get junky meat again. Join the movement right now. One year of their best bacon you'll ever taste. Limited time offer. M-O-I-N-K box.com slash conservative. All right, guys. So I want to just cover a couple things before we bring on Dr. Stock um, and ask him a couple questions. So one of the big news items I'm sure you saw yesterday was a news story that came out from uh, CDC that it turns out, turns out almost a half of all hospitalizations over most of the pandemic were bogus. As we suspected, I actually thought it would be like 25, 30%. It turns out that according to the researchers, Okay, 40 to 45 percent of the hospitalizations they examined were people that were basically their COVID diagnosis was incidental to the hospitalization, meaning they could have been going in for routine cancer treatment, psychiatric episodes, anything from trauma, car accidents to um, kidney stones, you name it. Things that commonly bring in people to ER, especially during a time when it's spreading a lot. You go there. Well, oops, you, you got it. That's a COVID patient. So then they have all of the isolation protocols. It drains the staff. It drains the resources. It it, it just creates logistical problems. So our very own policy of treating and of quarantine rather than focusing on treating the sick created more COVID cases and blew up the hospitals. Now, I don't want you guys to take the wrong lesson out of this. This was before the July wave when I believe July is the benchmark for this quasi-macro antibody-dependent disease enhancement, the leaky vaccine syndrome that we're seeing, the increased viral load. I don't want you guys to think, oh, this thing is a joke. No, it's not. But a couple of points are in order. Number one, it's lies like this that got people to completely deny the existence of the virus. You know, there's enough people getting very sick from it. You don't need to exaggerate the already bad numbers. Why are we doing that? That's number one. Okay? Um, and number two, number two, what this demonstrates is, yet again, the absurdity of banning outpatient treatment. 90% of the people in the hospital, and I would argue, had we really put our effort into this and really fine tune this, it would be 99%, and I'll get to that in a minute, would never have been there. So you're not spreading it nosocomial, right? You're not spreading it to other people. Study found that 45% of their cases were mild or asymptomatic since January 21st. According to Shira Durone. This is an article from Atlantic. Shira Daron is an infectious disease physician, hospital epidemiologist at Tufts Medical Center in Boston, one of the study's co-authors. The latter finding may be explained by the fact that unvaccinated patients in the vaccine era tend to be a younger cohort who are less vulnerable to COVID and may be more likely to have been infected in the past remember they could these pcr things could pick up infections from 90 days ago so you get a young guy gets into a motorcycle accident reckless guy young guy fentanyl overdose drinking problem it could be anything it could be you know a lot of people in their 30s they get kidney stones really at all ages but you know young white males i think is the most common for kidney stones very common to bring people into an er for it is literally the only thing and I thank God every day, it's literally the only thing my entire life that brought me into an ER. Um, you know, it, if you had the virus any time in the last couple of months, PCR test could potentially pick it up. Boom, that's COVID hospitalization. But it's worse than that. There's another important point I want to bring out from this. They continue to lie and go on and say, oh, almost all the hospitalizations are unvaccinated. And we know it's a lie. We know in Israel, it's pretty much at parity with the proportion that are vaccinated. We know in the UK, it's well over a majority now. So we're about a month beyond the UK. It's gotta be, in many places, 40, 50%. We know that. And, And again, I quoted you from two counties in Maryland that already admitted over the last three months, it was ranging from 30 to 40%, which means that certainly... The week we stand in right now, if you would isolate this week with uh, more people um, getting into that uh, waning stage of the vaccine, it likely wore off even more. And those numbers are likely going to cross 50, 60 percent. This is what we're being lied to. But where this study comes in is as follows. It's even worse than that. So, A, they're lying. B... You have all the people that are in the most vulnerable stage to get COVID going through the process, first shot and up to 14 days after the second shot when they're immunosuppressed, and that's counted as unvaccinated rather than vaccinated or at least a third cohort. But then there's this factor. Nobody who is vaccinated is tested incidentally. So if you come in, you're vaccinated. You come in for a surgery, cancer treatment, whatever, you're vaccinated. They won't test you unless you're saying, I I have, you know, my blood oxygen level is dropping, I'm scared I have COVID, then they'll test you. Whereas if you're unvaccinated, they'll automatically test you. So you might have thinking, well, Daniel, that's a cool way of getting out of it. But it's the the unvaccinated doing it. Come on. Most people aren't like that. Not really. This study is demonstrating that the 800-pound gorilla in the room, almost half of all cases are incidental. And... One of the co-authors note that it's likely more weighted to the unvaccinated, that is, the subclinical ones that are not flooding them for critical care because they'd be younger. But I would add, one thing she doesn't say that's even truer is that they automatically test them. So you're going to rope in a much greater share of the incidental cases among the unvaccinated, than you will the vaccinated. And the proof's in the pudding. You go to um, the UK, the Daily Skeptic, did a terrific article on this. Terrific article. So, everyone's running around the UK, they're like 1% of all COVID deaths are vaccinated people. But in fact, if you look at the data from Public Health England, the best data in the world, they show for August it was 70%. 70% of the deaths in England were vaccinated. That is a fact. America does not put out data like that. The country that does tells you a different story. So what what am I going to believe? Now, again, I will tell you at this point it's not yet going to be 70% in America because we're behind them in the the leakiness of vaccination curve. But take a look at this. Here's the deal. They studied between January 2nd and July. So I joked around, I put out on Twitter today, I said, 100% of people who died from COVID in 2020 were unvaccinated. Well, yeah, because 100% of people were unvaccinated. There wasn't a vaccine. So when you rope in January, February, you know, not, not, there's a minority of people who were vaccinated to begin with. So of course, almost everyone who died then was vaccinated. And then also, none of us disagree that it has a few months of efficacy. Not against transmission, really, but against critical illness. But then it doesn't. Stop playing, this is the game they're playing. It works, it doesn't work, it works. No, it works for a few months and then it wears off and now you're left with nothing. And increasingly, everyone's gonna be in that same boat. So here's the little trick. If you go to public health data They publish a period from August 9th to September 5th, okay? Guess what you'll find for there. During that period, there were 2,381 deaths, 1659, or 69.7%, so 70%, were in the double vaccinated group, okay? Double vaccinated group, Then if you add single vax, I don't have the numbers in front of me, but that would be even more. So in other words, um, yeah, yeah, yeah. So in other words, in the over 50 cohort, over 50 cohort, 73% of the deaths were double vaccinated. Just 22.5% were unvaccinated. Now, automatically, like, nothing stuns our, our opposition. Everything they have an answer for, well, well, well uh, 73%, but but uh, in that group, really the vaccination rate is like 90% or something. Okay, I, I get it. But 73% of all deaths are still, that. that is a terrible advocacy. But even more important, it's sliding every day. What that tells you is you wait <coughs> another month or two, and it will likely be like Israel, Well, where it will be at parity. It will be 90%. It will be at parity, where there's 0% efficacy. It's like, it's going down, and down, and down, and down. Well, there's still some efficacy. Well, yeah, but are you being an idiot? Like, you don't see where this is coming from, where it's headed? So I just wanted to round that off today. That is the big lie. Um you know what we talked about now our second sponsor today there is no excuse with all these companies becoming a bunch of marxist communist censors to go with AT&T and Verizon and all these idiotic leftist wireless carriers patriot mobile is the only christian conservative uh, wireless provider in america that stands for our constitutional va- values they have the broadest nationwide coverage. They use the same towers as all the major carriers, so it's not like you have to worry about the service not being as good. In fact, their 100% U.S.-based customer service team is the highest rating quality among wireless carriers. You'll always talk to an American. Um, Patriot Mobile shares your values. They'll give money to our causes, not the other side's causes. If you go to PatriotMobile.com or call 972-PATRIOT, you can get free activation with the offer code CR. They also have special uh, discounts for veterans and first responders because um, they actually support the police. Again, patriotmobile.com slash CR, patriotmobile.com slash CR, or call 972-PATRIOT. Stop giving your money to those who hate us. Now, one other story I just wanted to go over in, in light of what we're talking about today. So... This is from my buddy, uh, Chris Pandelfo, article at The Blaze. HHS is reviewing all doctors' order for monoclonal antibodies. So Chip Roy wrote a letter to the HHS secretary saying, hey, we, we know the monoclonal antibodies you know, work and they're really great. Um, everyone's utilizing them. But unfortunately, numerous doctors and healthcare professionals who serve COVID-19 patients are reportedly being denied or limited orders for these treatments by HHS. And I've gotten a ton of emails myself about this. People having problems accessing access them. Again, depending on where you are, who you are, sometimes it's, it's easy as pie. But a lot of places, like, this should be standard. Um, so that's the issue here. HHS acted to temporarily limit immediate orders and shipment of the antibody treatments only to administration sites with HHS-Protect accounts and current utilization reporting. The agency also announced that it would review all orders by doctors for alignment with utilization. So what what Chip is worried about, is saying, wait a minute, Biden claims to have put in his order to expand the monoclonals, but in fact, he's limiting them. Right, They want it only to certain people. And I'll bet you they'll probably want to do that to try to vet out who's vaccinated. And if you're not vaccinated, they'll probably deny you the treatment or something. That's my hypothesis. So they are actually impeding the monoclonals. Now, again, they can't go to war on it because it's approved by Big Pharma and whatever, and and it was already approved before they had the vaccine. Had it come out now, my theory is they would have blocked it, even if it came from a, you know, Regeneron or whatever, they would have blocked it. But now they can't totally do that, so they're putting up hurdles, and they're certainly not advertising the heck out of it. So again, those of you who are skeptical about ivermectin hydroxychloroquine or anything else, just realize, ask yourself this question why are they not shouting the monoclonals from the rooftops? I cannot tell you how many people I have personally saved by informing them and helping them get the monoclonals who were vaccinated, by the way, and it didn't work, the vaccine. So that's the story with that. But I want to get to our guest. So one of our greatest hits from last month with all the doctors we had on was Dr. Dan Stock, A lot of you originally saw him in that viral video where he stood up in front of a school board and just laid out everything in, it wasn't like a 30 minute speech, it was like five minutes somehow laid out all the points about everything we're doing that we shouldn't be doing and everything that we should be doing that's being censored and banned. And it was like, wow, it went viral. I said, I gotta have him on," and we've been friends ever since then. Um, Dr. Dan has been practicing medicine for three decades. He's a leader in family medicine, functional medicine, primary care. So this is really the type of guy that should be treating COVID, but very few of his colleagues are. He's the owner of Pure Health Functional Family Medicine in Fishers, Indiana. He also has a website with a lot of information on COVID and other um. Just links to good healthcare products, which we'll talk about a little bit. Purehealthmed.com. We'll talk about that more. Um, Dr. Dan, thanks so much for coming back and joining us today.
0: Thanks for having me on, Dan.
1: All right. The Dan and Dan show here. So here's the deal. Um, I want as a fellow physician treating this, I want you to comment on physicians. Um, you know, uh, Brian Tyson George Fareed, they put out a paper, and I'm trying to get a copy of it. I just have a screenshot of some of the summaries. But this is really the 800-pound gorilla in the room. People talk about a pandemic of the unvaccinated. But in fact, we have a pandemic of the untreated. Among 3,962 patients, almost 4,000, treated for mild or... Um, you know mild covid prior to developing of moderate or severe illness none died zero died as compared to 3.03% in the analysis of the same county i'm forgetting i think they're in el centro in california um so that was one data point then also among those patients that were treated again 3962 um that developed, where is this? They developed, um, trying to find this here. Just totally missing this. So deaths, Dr. Dan, there were zero. Among hospitalizations, okay. it was .05%. So I'm trying to figure out if that's like two or three people. I can't do the math in my mind. Compared to 22.68% in the same county, over the same period. Is this what you're seeing, this rate of success with your treatments?
0: Well, you know, mine is a little bit of a skeet sample, Dan, because all of my patients come in with all of the things that prevent people from being COVID-19 to begin with. Um, so when somebody comes into my practice, they already have zinc, selenium, iron, iodine, vitamin D taken care of. When they get COVID-19, because they're already in chronic inflammatory response syndrome or have ongoing biotoxin exposure or Lyme, I hit him with a little ivermectin, and we're done. Um, so my experience is a little different what the other doctors are seeing, but I think the reason they're seeing things differently is because the, right now the treatment protocol for COVID-19 in the United States is, okay, you're sick, go home and come. People at the FLCCC says, look, that the whole way to win this thing is early treatment, and early treatment with things that are inexpensive, over-the-counter, um, some of them prescription but they all work best if they're started early on in the process. It doesn't help to send somebody home and say, come back when the second phase begins and you're starting to lose your lungs. Um, the, the the truth is when people talk about this vaccine versus nothing paradigm, they're missing the whole idea that, hey, you know, augmented natural immunity, which is either preventative or acute treatment, um, makes this disease turn around 100, 180 degrees. Uh, This isn't a highly lethal disease as long as you come in and we start treating you right away. Better would be prevention with the same things we treat you with, but there's no reason that we should be having all of these statistics come up because this disease is not hard to take care of if you'll just do something when they first get sick.
1: No, exactly. And especially with the amount of resources, money we spent, and the, and the warning we've had for 18 months, it would be the equivalent of everyone getting something. We always deal with pneumonia, quasi-pneumonia, things that lead to pneumonia. But here, it's a pandemic that could potentially rope in a lot more people into that at a quicker time. So imagine if we just said we're not treating pneumonia, right? That, that would be the equivalent. So Dr. Dan... Um, Before I get into the why, which I really want to delve into the why doctors are are scared and cowardly in treating it and what we need to do about that, um, just with the treatment, you mentioned something that I want to follow up with. Um, My concern was that – so the ivermectin thing before what I call the Pfizer variant, it seemed like ivermectin was doing wonders. You would just need like small dose ivermectin and it would turn people around right away. But now we're finding you need to hit it multi-drug, you know – early and if it's late you know later it doesn't work as well you're still finding that the regular dose of ivermectin is kicking this
0: um in people who are unvaccinated yeah i you know because it looks like the immunity to delta among people who are um uh uh, recovered they're doing very well and people who are naive delta doesn't really have a new trick that it has to make you sick unless you're vaccinated and then it has an enhancing antibody that allows it to ruin your white blood cells. So, Delta is not really a big, it's not a bigger challenge to the un- unvaccinated naive than Alpha was, at least in my experience. Now, I haven't seen any research that says anything different. The bigger difference I've seen with Delta is just that the vaccinated people shed it by the ton. And so, the exposure you get if you are naive and unrecovered
1: yes. around
0: somebody who is vaccinated is now big enough that it can make a bigger challenge to your immune system. So I'm not surprised we may have see the people who aren't working with the patient population that I work with, who are all wonderfully prophylaxed. These people probably are having to use higher doses of ivermectin because the exposure dose is probably much higher now that vaccination has caused Delta to develop.
1: Got it, so you chalk it up to, you're saying people that are doing ivermectin plus the kitchen sink, you're saying you already built the kitchen sink um, with your patients, right. so they're having levels of D that are great and everything, so they come in, typically they probably would've gotten it asymptomatically, now with the higher viral load, they'll get something, you knock it down with ivermectin. ivermectin. Um, one more thing on the treatment I want to talk about is um, in terms of ivermectin, I, I'm hearing that it is really, really important, not just a side point, but the whole enchilada, that you got to take it with a fatty meal to make sure you get that absorption. But you know, when people are sick, they're often not up to eating. Um, what do you recommend people eat and what sort of regimen? Do you take it all at once? Do you spread it out throughout the day?
0: I have my people take it all at one time. Um, I haven't seen data to suggest that split dosing is better, although I'd entertain that option. Uh, Typically, when you uh, dump it all in with something that facilitates absorption, uh, it typically does better. Uh, I guess it's because my people tend to be less sick since they're already mostly taken care of on the stuff you need. I haven't seen gobs of nausea. Nobody's unable to eat when they're with mine now. If you have somebody who comes in and their vitamin D levels in the single digits and they couldn't spell iron if you, spell them, if you spotted them IRO, uh, I could see where nausea becomes a problem. But then if you have to, you start hitting with stuff to get the nausea taken care of and say, hey, here's here's the ivermectin it with food. What's important is that this stuff gets into you. Um, and then we get enough into it to take care of this, this critter because you've probably got a higher exposure load than the average bear does.
1: Absolutely. No, that's that's definitely what we're seeing. Um, are you having a difficult time getting ivermectin to people with the blockade on a lot of pharmacies?
0: Yeah, actually, uh, uh, Dr. Ryan Cole shared with me that they've even admitted, one of the pharmacists at CVS in his area admitted this is a corporate policy, and all of my patients now are being asked why you're taking this. Um, I'm encouraging them to say it's none of your business, and then if they continue to persist and say we're not gonna fill it until you give us this because we have a corporate directive, which is what they're telling them, then I tell them tell them it's worms. I you know, I'm like, I don't care. Um, I don't like to I don't like to lie as a general rule, but you know, being honest with Nazis is just not something I feel is necessary for the human race to do. Living is um, better
1: than dying. I mean that that that's the thing. It's it's yeah. you know, and and, and and the point the reason why, you know, the reason why I started with the George Farid and Brian Tyson paper because I know you would appreciate this because you're about the whole metabolic health and everything and it's a lot of different things together. It seems like you already have your patients prophylax, so they've already been doing that. But you know all these studies, even the ones that are very positive for ivermectin, which most are, they miss the point. It's not about this drug's thirty percent. This is forty percent. No, yeah. it's about the stay home until you can't breathe control group versus the trial group, which is practicing medicine. Now, that includes a doctor talking to you and looking at the preponderance of evidence of the person, his history, the symptoms of presentation, and having the right drug, combination of drugs at the right time for the right person. Well, that's nearly – their point is it's nearly 100% effective Um so right. isn't that what For you're saying
0: yes as a matter of fact um ryan cole put it best when he compared what the healthcare system is doing right now he calls it the covigi experiment because i swear to god we're just watching what happened in tuskegee where we're just going to set people out there and see what happens when we don't treat them um and it's this idea that it's this or that drug is like no guys look if you came into my practice and i've had people join my practice say hey doc i new patient, but I'm joining you today because I've got COVID-19 and I'm symptomatic. It's like, well, we're bombing you with vitamin D, we're bombing you with zinc, we're bombing you with ivermectin, Um, we're bombing you with selenium. Um, You know, you're doing all of these things at at one time. Frankly, I'd put phenolfibrate and ivermectin into somebody at the same time if they look really bad at this. Um, The idea that it's this or that drug, this is a paradigm that is only a weak mind would insist on. Um, In medicine, we don't come after you when you've got a a terrible blood pressure problem with saying, hey, look, you're you're getting low Sartan, and if that doesn't get your blood pressure down, you're just going to walk around 180 over 100 the rest of your life. We would never do that. Um, But doctors are just, they're not free to think. And so they don't think.
1: So what, okay, so this is really where I want to get with the meat and potatoes with you today, because this is your expertise. You've been involved in um, what's known as accountable care organizations, Could you speak a little bit about ACOs, what they represent, how they're part of this linchpin of corporate control that is censoring and scaring doctors away from treating this, and among many other things, and how we essentially have the death panels that we thought only Europe had and we escaped, and what state legislators and governors could do about that?
0: Sure, and and some people know kind of where my experience is on this. Um, I was elected by the physicians of my local health network uh, to the physician board at the time when these accountable care organizations were coming out, and so that the listeners know what an ACO is. Uh, it was around 15 years ago that someone in the federal government got this bright idea that what would be really great for efficient health care is if all the providers of health care joined together into one organization that could share data. Um, and the way they, they enforced this was they said, hey, look, Um, we're going to cut the reimbursement of everybody who stays independent and increase the reimbursement of everybody who goes together and forms an ACO. So this usually ended up with a hospital system who was hiring the doctors, the nurses, the physical therapists, the nurse practitioners, the transportation aides, Um, and then to get your extra percent reimbursement you had to join into an electronic medical record system that would report aggregate data uh, to the Center for Medicare and Medicaid policy. So now all of a sudden you had an organization that was funneling all this data into the federal government. But the other thing that went along with this, in most states, it's legal, and what the hospital systems rapidly did supposedly to protect their investment in these providers was they made very restrictive non-contact, non-compete clauses, which meant that if they ever fired the doctor for any reason, the doctor had to move sometimes as much as 50 miles away to practice, um, he couldn't come back for a year or two years. He could not contact any of his patients or take his charts with him when he left. Well, the problem is that the doctor's capital is the faith in his patient, that his patients have in his care and their access to him. And so effectively, uh, the, the uh, ACO could now threaten the doctor to bankrupt him. We'll take away all of your capital. You'll have to start a new practice off, which is very, very expensive. God forbid you should be a specialist. Because these ACOs now would go and tell their primary care providers, if you refer to a specialist who's not in the ACO, you're going to be one of the guys who gets fired. And so all of a sudden, the specialists, would they had nowhere to go. They had to do whatever the health network told them. And with this coercion in place, then the federal government told the ACOs, you're only getting this extra reimbursement if you follow our guidelines. Um, And so all of a sudden, Hmm. doctors were not free to think. They had financial guns to put to their heads. Um, And this has been going on for over a decade now, so that doctors have been indoctrinated into the, with the financial fear that I'll bankrupt you and your family, choose between what the government wants and what your patient wants. And if we catch you giving advice we don't want given, or if you're not giving advice we do want given, then you will pay the price of this financial difficulty. Now, to make that even worse, these ACOs also got control of the doctors' continuing medical education budgets. So they would actually give them money, but they'd say you can only spend it on these courses. And those courses all had to maintain your board certification, uh, with boards being actually just another way to centralize power away from the individual doctor. And then very rapidly, the boards, which have ever since this program started, uh, these boards have done nothing but kowtow to whatever the insurance companies and the governments want. They would come out and say, hey, look, you know, um, we're not going to let you use uh, any courses in functional medicine. Uh, towards your board certification maintenance, which means basically the only thing you can study is the protocols the government and the insurance company <laughs> wants you to learn in the first place. So after a decade of this training of, hey look, scientific method and thought doesn't matter. All that matters to protect your family is that you do what you're told. Doctors are now, frankly, incapable of thinking critically. Um, they it back immediately whatever they're handed by the federal government. I've had discussions with a pol- two pulmonologists last week all of whom were actually unable to consider the idea that, look, absence of study that proves that antibody-dependent enhancement isn't happening, all of the data says that it is, and they're like, oh, you can't claim the vaccine's causing Delta variant to come about. And I'm like, well, yeah, I can, and here's why. And Do you have another explanation? And all you could see was eyelashes just slowly going up and down, getting a little bit wider, and it's like they're not capable of thinking outside of what the government tells them. It's the default position. Ivermectin doesn't work because the FDA hasn't told me it works, and this method of independent thought is right now lost in medicine in the United States.
1: You know, it reminds me what you're describing. Reminds me a lot of the military, where you know over the last generation the military got taken over and it's become you know more political than than politics, and it's the same thing. They'll they'll throw their troops into a meat grinder. They'll do insane strategic uh, maneuvers and make insane decisions that don't make sense from a military standpoint but it's all politics defining it because they're no longer, you know, free to follow the so, you know, science so to speak of of strike and maneuver. So it's a similar thing here. It used to be a doctor would wake up, "Man, I got a patient. What do I do? You know, what's the science? Let's look at the literature. Let's consult with people. Let's try to save him." Now everything is about the paperwork, it's about pleasing the corporate uh uh Lords, um, the ACOs ensure that you can't be independent. So you're saying they get you both in an incentive, a carrot and a stick approach, right? So there's both, you know, where the the extra reimbursement and then also, hey, if you're not gonna be a part of one, you're gonna be kind of like, you know, it's like the ultimate cancel culture. So what I'm hearing from you, if, if I've gotten this correctly, you know, everyone's asking me like, how could doctors be dumber than laymen on COVID, like dumb. I mean, just, 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 I, it's not malpractice, it's genocide, it's unbelievable. And like, how could a guy testify in court when a woman, you know, this this video I was touting of this, this heart-wrenching video of this man who lost his wife that, you know, went to court and, you know, it was over. They had nothing for her, they admit it. It's not like they said, hey, you know, we think this is gonna work or we'd rather try this. Nothing, they would rather she die than try something. Um. And how could a doctor think that way? But again, that is their policy. And if you go against that, you're gonna get fired. Not only are you gonna get fired, you then can't practice within a certain distance. You're also gonna be blackballed. You're gonna be known as the guy off the system. You won't get referrals. If you're a pulmonologist in the ICU, that's like, hey, I wanna try this. Well, okay, I get kicked out of the hospital. I'll open up my practice. Well, you're saying you're not gonna get referrals.
0: That's right. Well, and, and, and the, it goes not only with the, the uh, stick, as you say, but the carrots. So for instance, they already know that, if, hey, look, if you've got a diabetic and we don't see a certain percentage of your people on an ACE inhibitor or an ARV drug, you're going to get a bonus if you get them there, and you're going to get probably fired if you don't. Not just a pay cut, but yeah, we'll throw you out. Um, and so they, the doctors right now, they, they don't think. Thinking is a financial risk you take that hurts your family and yourself. Um, Whoa, whoa! wait you know, a minute, wait a, a minute.
1: Like a financial risk that hurts yourself. That, that is a very yeah, profound I mean, statement you're... you're saying. So doctors, it boils, whether they know it or not, it's all about money.
0: Yeah, I mean, it, they honestly, they know it. The doctors don't like this. In fact, I would tell everybody, if your doctor's taking third-party payment from Medicare, Medicaid, insurance companies, or an employer or something like that, he doesn't like this system. He didn't design this weren't strong enough and brave enough to fight when it began, but they don't support this system. There are some loud, uh, what I like to call the um, enthusiastic idiots, who <laughs> think this is a great system, but the vast majority of doctors don't, but they're financially hostage. Wow. that, that, that fact, is... uh, another thing that, that people should know about is how this indoctrination has worked. The average doctor now, I think, comes out of medical school something like $350,000 in debt. If he goes and works for a nonprofit like an ACO for 10 years, he gets that debt forgiven. But if he works for them 9 years, 11 months, and 30 days and gets fired, he gets all $350,000 of debt back. So if, if you're misbehaving 7 years into this, you say, oh, I just can't take it anymore, and an ACO fires you because you don't behave, no other ACO is going to hire you because you're the same problem, and you just got an enormous amount of debt thrown back on you and your family. And so people need to understand the financial uh, guns to the head of doctors right now. Um, You know, I tell everybody who tells me I'm brave is like, guys, look, I'm a direct pay doctor. Um, My income comes directly from my patients. The braver ones are the doctors standing up against the hospital in Cincinnati who are all employed by that group and saying, hey, we're going to stand up and fight back. Because if they lose this, they're probably out on the street Um, Mm. and nobody else is going to hire. So people need to understand that. You know, I I tell people, distrust your doctor if he's in the system, but don't dislike him. Understand his situation. Um, You know, distrust him, but don't dislike him. Have him on your hockey team. Have him over to dinner. mm -hmm. Um, But, you know, don't shun him. But understand, it's not that he doesn't care about you. He's being forced to make Sophie's choice. Um,
1: So basically what you're telling me, what's scary about the medical profession is so every profession has the cancel culture and this problem in the sense of whatever profession you're in, you all, for example, have to support, you know, the BLM terrorists and you can't support the cops. Right. So we, we get the politics. But in the medical profession, there's a second layer of politics in the actual practice of medicine itself that has life and death implications in that it's not just if you're a doctor, you have to join along like with every profession and promote the left wing causes and whatever, but Within the medicine, for example, ivermectin bad, remdesivir good, right? Remdesivir is BLM, right. ivermectin is the cops, right? It's, it's, it, but but, right. but instead of it just being an abstract, important public policy issue, this is literally life and death for the patient.
0: Yeah. In fact, these contracts that the doctors are in, I, I can send you a copy of mine. It actually has a clause in there that requires the doctor to deny having a contract with that health network because they don't want the patients to know they've got doctors on the string like this. But it, it is. It's, it comes down to, hey, look, I'm not going to write ivermectin. The nurse in the hospital won't give ivermectin if you walk in with the horse paste. They won't give it um, because the protocol says that there's financial pain for everybody if you do that. It, it is, it is, I can't put it any more bluntly than that. Doctors are being paid off. Um, against their will, but being paid off and forced to do Sophie's Choice, their patient or their family.
1: So we've we've seen this blatantly with covid. Okay, I mean, it's obviously it's a pandemic. So it's broken out where we see hundreds of thousands of people dying, getting very sick because of this decision. But in reality, what you're describing is something that was put into place. Uh, again, really, over the last fifty years, as the medical system became so convoluted with the third-party, fourth-party payer, the middlemen, the parasites, um, the the quasi-government corporate you know partnership, uh, but and then was obviously consummated, cemented with Obamacare, and really accelerated the trend away from independent practice. So my question to you is: Could you give other examples of where you think this is happening? Where People are dying, are getting maltreatment. They're getting something they shouldn't or not getting something they should because of the politics and money and control of the cartel.
0: Yeah, it's the most lethal disease in the country right now, which is heart attack and stroke. Um, I can tell you that many years ago, 10 years ago, we had data that showed that if you added extended-release niacin to a low-dose statin or other things that lower the number of LDL packages, that pretty much the disease would regress and go away, and heart attacks and strokes would strokes would stop. As a matter of fact, there was a study done called the Arbiter 6 trial where we actually control we compared using low dose niacin, and excuse me, low dose statin along with extended release niacin to hey, let's focus everything on LDL cholesterol with a high dose statin and something called ezetimibe, and we're going to compare and see which one does the best on just the what we call the carotid intima media thickness. And they actually had to stop the study, because it didn't just affect the thickness of your artery walls, it actually had a death benefit beyond extended release niacin. And yet, and yet, what our government did was actually force two studies to be done for extended release niacin that were so badly designed that they had no benefit. and then they declared nobody should be on extended release niacin because it doesn't work. Um, and based upon very bad studies that were, by the way, funded by the NIH, all right? Um. Uh, at least the major one I know is funded by the NIH. And so instead, we said we're just going to focus on LDL cholesterol and we're going to let people continue to have heart attacks and strokes despite knowing we have evidence that there's another therapy which is available over-the-counter and very inexpensively that would, if we augmented this with a low-dose cheap generic statin, that we would be able to make heart attack and stroke stroke stop for the vast majority of people in the United States who have atherosclerosis.
1: Does this also tie into the entire push of the medical establish uh, a medical establishment against LDL that not just the triglycerides but that the LDL is the real problem and that people need to avoid meat is that part of the same lie
0: Well yeah I mean honestly I tell people I don't want anybody to get on a high fat diet cuz we see there's a problem with that but the idea that if you eat meat you're going to roll over and die is just incorrect um You know, there's meat can be part of a healthy diet as long as it's full of a lot of unprocessed plant material. There's no problem with meat and doses the size of the volume of your palm on a meal. Um, I don't want anybody to sit down and have a straight T bone steak every day for dinner. um, But, you know, if you have the size of a hamburger along with a whole bunch of unprocessed vegetables, you know, you're not going to die from that. Instead, we drove people to this, oh, go to a very low fat diet. And then instead of instructing them to replace that, with carbohydrates that are coming from unprocessed plant material, we said anything with a carbohydrate, eat it, well, that's sugar. And so sugar and processed grain suddenly became the basis of the American diet. And as bad as a high-fat diet is is for you, the one thing that's worse is a very highly processed, high-sugar carbohydrate diet. It's even worse than a high-fat diet. But we can't get anybody to look at this data. If you look at the food pyramid, I tell somebody, you might as well turn it upside down. It makes just as much sense if you turn it upside down or backwards. It doesn't have any biochemistry supporting it. Um, And so heart attack and stroke, the most lethal disease in the country, kills more people than COVID-19 is, unless you believe, as I do, that COVID-19 is causing people to have heart, or at least the vaccine is causing people to have heart attacks and strokes. Um, I tell somebody the government has now more than once chosen to ignore the best possible treatment because it was not very profitable.
1: The best possible treatment because it's not profitable. So let me move on to one other example. Now, this warrants an entire program in and of itself, but I want to discuss just one sphere of this. Obviously, cancer is the other big man killer around. And so you believe that there is at least a partial solution for certain cancers preventing them um, that ties very closely into COVID. Could you talk about that?
0: Yeah, it's vitamin D. Um, As a matter of fact, the first study on cancer uh, with vitamin D was published back in 2008. It's in the May uh, edition of the Journal of Clinical Nutrition. Jennifer Robinson, I believe, was the lead author. Um, And in that study, they actually took a group of people, and they screened them with every known modality for cancer we could screen them. And so anybody who had a a positive screen test was thrown out of the trial. So we had a group of people who sure didn't have cancer coming in. They were randomized to a very low dose of vitamin D. It was only 2,000 international units a day versus placebo. Followed out four years, and at the end of four years, if you were alive, you had to go through all the screening again. If you died, you got a chart, to review, and an autopsy so we could see if you had any cancer. So this thing was done the right way, and uh, that study came back and showed that the vitamin D, even in that low dose, over the whole four years of the trial, reduced the risk of developing a new cancer by 60%, percent six zero. 0 um, we always like to look, take out that first year of the trial because somebody probably skips through our screening program. So if you look at years two, three, and four, they reduce the risk of a new cancer by 80%. And then, just to spice it up, they did what's called a multivariate on-treatment uh, risk analysis. It's a statistical of saying, hey, how much of that 80% reduction can we explain by your vitamin D blood level going up? And the answer feedback is damn near all of it.
1: Um, wow. So you're so saying... yeah. <clears throat> So here here and, here and after
0: that was published by the way you should know that the NIH then sponsored another trial called the Vital trial. And in this one they took the same dose of vitamin D but they didn't screen anybody before they got into the trial. They didn't screen anybody coming out of the trial. Um so they really weakened the power to determine anything. They looked at the outcome of overall development of new cancer and there's a trend towards benefit that wasn't statistically significant so they said oh see vitamin D doesn't work. And then when a sub-analysis showed that in the black population, who starts off with the lowest vitamin D levels to begin with, that it actually did statistically significantly reduce the risk of cancer in the black population, on top of the previous study, the NIH's position was, well, we need to do more research.
1: Indeed, we need to do more research, except they never have any intention. I mean, you would think, like, if you have the man killer and you have something very promising, you would want to jump on it. But this is what we've seen with COVID. It's like, yeah, I don't like your studies. OK, but, you know, there's a lot of promising data there. So you're going to do your own, right? Like, we're really desperate for a treatment. Oh, no, no, no. We uh, uh, get vaccinated. Um. So so you're so now you always say. Worse,
0: worse yet, Dan. Yeah. Worse yet they'll actually pay for a study which is done wrong (laughs) to prove the thing doesn't work. And I've actually seen that both with vitamin D and ivermectin where they did a study. You looked at the way the study was done and said, oh my god, a third grader wouldn't design it this way. Um, In the vitamin D study they did, they actually did this by taking an enormous dose, 200,000 international units, giving to them one time and never repeating it. So for the listeners, I can tell you that about the most the liver can convert to the active form in one trip is 50,000. So three-quarters of that dose went right through the liver, got absorbed into the fat tissue because it's a fat-soluble vitamin, never got back, never got converted into vitamin D. In fact, it showed that it took five, years, uh, five days just to get their level up to 40. And if that didn't doom vitamin D bad enough that they dosed it wrong, then they said we're not going to measure the blood levels of anybody who dies. So therefore, if you're one of the guys who can't convert it at all and you die because of that, we won't be able to find that. And I actually emailed with the author of that trial, and I said, hey, why did you dose vitamin D this way? She says, oh, well, that's the way they do it in Europe. They said, no, that's the way they do it for chronic therapy in Europe. They don't do it for acute therapy, we do it this way. Why didn't you measure any of the people who died? And email said, well, we didn't know the day they were going to die. And <laughs> I said, you could have taken a little bit of blood every day, and she came back with an answer of, oh, good point. <laughs> and so that's the research that we did pay for.
1: Yep, and, and, and that's the thing, <laughs> and, and big pharma funds this stuff. All they need is a media headline, like, oh, this thing showed no efficacy, negative efficacy. Yeah. And and it's all a game, it's a shell game. But your point with cancer and tying back to COVID is that as good as vitamin D is, and as much as they're censoring that, as much as they're um, you know, really, really lowballing what people should take um by a factor of like, you know, eighty, ninety percent in some cases. But the bigger scandal is D two or hydrox twenty five hydroxy, what we call calcifidiol, which is the active D that's able to bypass the liver and almost instantaneously get someone's levels up. Um, you know, that would help cancer patients, but that would also help COVID patients. Could you describe what the COVID pandemic would look
0: like if we had the ability? Well, you, yeah. Yeah. Because <laughs> we, we, we have a trial. Um, it was done in Spain. 75 people newly admitted to the hospital, all of them already taking hydroxychloroquine and azithromycin. And so, for the listeners, whenever you're already treating somebody with something, it makes the next treatment you're studying harder to prove it works right. You know, if you get strep throat people and they're all on amoxicillin, and then you say, hey, I want to see if penicillin adds anything to that, it's kind of hard to prove penicillin adds anything. So, here's the study. we got 75 people coming into the hospital, acutely diagnosed. We've got to swab up their nose. We know they have COVID 19 positive PCR tests randomize them up to 25 hydroxy vitamin D and it wasn't even a very big dose. All right. Um, Get that big dose on day one, half the dose on day three, again on day seven and every week thereafter. Um, 90% reduction in progression to the ICU, highly statistically significant, equally effective, whether you're fat or thin, have high blood pressure or don't, whether you have diabetes or don't, whether you're old or young. All right. All the risk factors covered right down the line, equally effective. As a matter of fact, It was 100% effective on death. Now, those numbers weren't statistically significant because the numbers were low, but there were 50 people taking the 25 hydroxy vitamin D. None of them died, including the one guy who managed to get to the ICU. But there were two deaths among 26 in the placebo group. Um, And I tell people, they're they're gonna look at that and say, well, it's not statistically significant. I tell them, you're right, but that's better death data than we have for any vaccine in a placebo-controlled randomized blinded trial for COVID-19 death. Um, and yet, the response to this, when I went up, because I saw this study, first thing they did was call up my compounding pharmacist. Baby, I know where you can buy it. It looks like you can compound a, a run of treatment for like ten bucks. And his response was, "No, Dan, the FDA sent out a note that says if we compound this stuff up uh, because it doesn't have a USP monograph, that we'll get a fifty thousand dollar fine and our license yanked."
1: Wow. And 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 that was before COVID. I mean, this has been a long-standing policy.
0: Um, well, I, I assume it's been a longstanding policy, but they got a reminder note. <laughs> oh, so they got um, a reminder note. Yeah. Wait a minute. So, this, so that
1: means they know the research we do. So like, cause I've been telling my audience every day that they're going through each thing that works and they're banning it. So even most of our guys that treat don't know about the calcifidial. I mean, this is you and Ryan and a couple other guys are into that. Not many people even know about that. So you're telling me they knew enough to preempt that. Um, man, like the, these guys, see, that's the thing. You can't, uh, you know, chalk this up to ignorance. Boy, they really know no. what works and systematically get rid of it. Um, we're almost out of time, and I, I, I'd i be remiss if I didn't ask you this question. I'm getting it from a lot of sure. people, and it. And it I, I want you to consider it. It is a thoughtful question. A lot of people are very concerned. They're like, look. I don't have a doctor like Dr. Stock. I have one of those cartel doctors that we talked about. And the guy, you know, I could be, I I could come to him and say, I'm going to die if you don't treat me. And he'll say, die. The bottom line is, you know, because the vaccine is around, it's creating massive enhancement, massive viral loads. Younger people are getting slammed with it. You know, let's say, uh, guys, like, look, I know my vitamin D. I, you know, it just is not up to where it needs to be. It's imminently spreading in my area. Um, I don't even know if I have access to a doctor or a pharmacy. I can even get things like hydroxy and ivermectin. You know, I could maybe get some of the over-the-counter stuff. Should I go and get the vaccine? Not as evil as it is that the government foreclosed all the better options, but because of the vaccine, kind of like you need Medicare once Medicare is the system, even though it should have never been there, people are asking me that question. You know, I want to survive, and as evil as it is from a public policy standpoint, but from an individual decision, should I bite the
0: bullet and get it? Well, my response on that is no, because remember, we're seeing all the evidence that antibody-dependent enhancement is developing. And antibody-dependent enhancement gives you this false hope with your first few infections, but then it ruins your immune system's response to COVID-19, and you're actually more likely to succumb to COVID-19 than if you just took your chances the first term. And by the way, we've seen that in two studies of humans of vaccines that caused ADE to develop. So I would tell people, look, you can even buy 25 vitamin D over the counter right now. You have to order it up from Australia, but it's available on Paces online. Um, Zinc's pretty hard to take off the market. You know, I tell people... You know, look, if you came down to it and said, hey, which is my better choice? Uh, Do the vaccine or go lay out in the sunshine and try and get as much vitamin D as I can get get up. I got to tell you guys, with the data we're seeing develop so rapidly, indicating that ADE is coming out from this vaccine. All I can tell you is, look, in the long run, you're more likely probably to be dead with the vaccine than if you just take your chances, even without vitamin D and all of that. But in the meantime, go get vitamin D. Load yourself up. I can tell you the way we load a person in medicine We'll give them 50,000 international units a day for three straight days, and then we'll give them 5,000, 10,000 a day after that if we need to keep the level up in the uh, greater than 55. Most people, it's going to be five to 7,000, keeps them above 55. Um, zinc you can take on your own right now, you'd be, you'd be better off trying to get yourself taken care of that way, hoping that we're actually going to tear this federal government down and rebuild it in a way so it actually treats us instead of the lobbyists. Um, than you are to try and get through this vaccine, because this vaccine is looking like nine months into it. It's actually to make people's immune systems work worse than if they just rolled the bones.
1: Wow. That is that is certainly a, a, a bold prediction, but it is based on the data. I mean, we are seeing it get worse and worse and worse. And what science tells us uh, from Merrick's disease vaccine, that the more that happens, the more... It will enhance it, and uh, eventually the, the piper is going to come due <clears throat> with the vaccinated as well. We are about out of time, uh, <clears throat> but where, again, could people find out more about the products you have, your service? Um, I do have listeners from Indiana, obviously, want to find out about you. Um, could, wh- where, where could they go?
0: Um, so I have a page on my website at purehealthmed.com called COVID-19 information, which I update periodically as more information comes in. I have a few more studies that just come in recently. Uh, for ones that are misleading, I actually put an annotated page on there so that they can understand how they get through the BS of how the study was cooked up to make it look you know, like it's bad when it's good. Um, and that's where I encourage them to go to get their data that kind of can tell them it's got everything on there from masking and social distancing, the viral avoidance measures, to vitamin D, uh, compendium of ivermectin. And on there, you can get the data to fight back with. And this is the most important thing I tell people, because you're not going to be able to trust the doctors in your in the uh, consortium right now. Um, they're nice people, but they have a terrible conflict of interest forced upon them against their will. Um, you know, trust yourself and read the data and and... and Make yourself get healthy the best you can to right now in the face of COVID 19.
1: Sage advice as always, Dr. Dan, thanks for what you're doing. Thanks for fighting and speaking out when so few are. And you're going to have to be a part of this solution, this parallel healthcare system, because without healthcare freedom, as we could well see, we do not have any freedom. And It could literally affect your life itself. That's the the problem. It's not like another industry that's taken over. Uh, There's nowhere to go. I mean, if they have a monopoly on health and wellness, so we got to utilize the tools we still have access to as well. Uh, Again, good luck in that endeavor. We hope to have you back. And, folks, we are just about out of time. Send me your comments, questions, and concerns that you have for Dr. Stock, and we'll send you back an answer. You can email me, dharwitz at blazemedia.com. Till tomorrow, God bless you all, and thank you for listening.